What do you get when you talk to a Dell Technologies advisor? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You get someone who understands there's an art to listening. Who's able to hear more than what's being said and can provide tailored mm-hmm. small business solutions that make you feel okay. truly heard. I understand. Let's get started. For advice on everything from laptops to the cloud and solutions powered by Intel V Pro platform, call an advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Hello and welcome. This week we're discussing different FIFA playstyles across different continents, how to beat players who have better technical ability, with inspiration from Jape's experience at the EMLS Cup, plus a super effective corner technique and the prime icon moment mess. I'm your host Ben and you're listening to the Foot Weekly Podcast, brought to you by our patrons on Foothead and all your podcast platforms. So Steve, you've been away for a bit, you missed the last pod, but the podcast actually also been away. But the good news is that, as you'll find out during the break, the pod is going to go weekly again. But a bit of a tangent, back to you, Steve. Good afternoon, Ben, or good morning to you guys. Yeah, it's actually morning. And I was saying to Jakes before we recorded, it's actually quite rare that we end up, or that I end up recording a podcast early in the morning, because obviously we often have US guests. So when we're in the UK, it's often in the afternoon, evening, because it's quite early for us guests um so yeah a novelty experience but not for japes who's a regular morning podcaster actually yeah this is the this is my normal podcast time on the yeah. weekends wake up have some coffee and jump on the pod mm. isn't it like seven thirty in the morning for you japes uh it is seven forty nine a.m crazy yeah well real commitment there to uh to bring us his his voice and actually talking about <laughs> commitment to bring us his voice you were obviously commentating on the EMLS finals a week or so ago or two weeks ago and I was there as well and it was um yeah it was a good experience um you, you I mean I talk about the commitment uh you were the only player I play so uh, when I spoke to you you were very much trying to conserve that voice yeah I uh I was already it was it was broken into two shows and I felt I could feel my voice starting to go a little bit after the first show so I, I was like mm. trying to be conscious of doing it but obviously in really enjoyed um doing the the play-by-play for EMLS and I think it went well and it sounds like I might be doing some play-by-play for another tournament coming up here so uh excited for that wow that was very exciting indeed yeah because it's great uh to, to hear you doing it back on the uh the scene and yeah considering it's the first time I believe you've done a play-by-play very impressive indeed you can go back and have a look have a listen to the videos if, if anyone wants to catch that again thanks Ben very good can I just clarify that? Are you, are you saying, Japes, that the reason that you didn't talk to Ben was because you didn't want to lose your voice? That's great. <laughs> That's genius. I, honest. I yeah, I, I feel like I'm going to have to keep that one in my arsenal if these early morning recordings <laughs> yeah. keep coming up. I don't know. You know, when you said, "Oh, my voice is uh, struggling," I was like, "Oh yeah, is that just an excuse?" You know. But actually, obviously, once you'd actually done the uh, final and everything, quite happy to talk and uh, use that voice as much as you like. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So going back to. So going back into the podcast itself, we've obviously got some big news in the sort of community and uh, there's, there's always some kind of controversy, isn't there? And at the moment, it's the prime icon moment debacle. And we'll talk about that in the second half. So don't worry, we're not going to um, avoid talking about that. We're definitely going to get into it. Um, we just want to focus on some stuff um, that we've kind of been thinking about over the last couple of weeks in terms of, I suppose, what can we learn from pros? There's been a lot of big tournaments over the last few weeks and a lot of interesting matchups. And there's been some particular, I guess, tactical things and also, I guess, I guess, would you say psychological things, Steve, perhaps, that have been quite interesting over these last few weeks? 
Yeah, I think that it's, it's, it's pretty much a neglected aspect of FIFA, really, Ben. And it's, it's just become... Um, I think we have seen it on display in a few tournaments recently. And it's, mm. it's something that needs to be kind of brought more into the light because I do think that people... They focus very much on the technical side of the game and the uh, the button pressing aspect, mechanical, if you want, for a better way of describing it. But mm. the uh, yeah, the the mind games, um, getting in the right sort of psychological frame of mind, all very important, and as I say, probably overlooked in general. Yeah, totally. And I think one of the things that we saw at the MLS Cup was some very specific kind of tactical matchups around Gastella the LA Galaxy Pro using a 4-1-2-1-2-2. So that's the very narrow formation um, throughout the tournament. It's pretty much the only formation he uses. I don't think he switches out of it, really. So the fact he got so far in the tournament somewhat surprised me. It's interesting, Dulster ended up beating him in the sort of grand final. And so I asked him about that and I'll play a quick clip now. So first of all, congratulations on your win. You're, I guess, the F2 techs of EMLS. Would that be fair? Uh, I'm not sure. Tex is uh, on a different level. He's doing it on the global stage, but uh, I'm doing it in the US. So hopefully, I wouldn't say I'm quite Tex, but hopefully I'll get to his level. That final match there was quite interesting. I had a chat with Giuseppe before the game, and he was talking about how he uses uh, that narrow formation quite a lot. I mean, he only uses that, to be honest. Is that something you took into account? Like, what did you do to, uh, I guess, take advantage of that? Yeah, I knew, I knew he played 4-1-2-1-2. Two, two. I played that myself, so I knew... I played him yesterday and I beat him, so I know I, I have faith in my ability with the four one two one two. So, I I started off with that, but I did switch to a three five two, and I think I got him with that. I was able to get my goals when I was playing that formation. And I think people who are listening are probably quite interested to know what it is about that wide formation which made it so successful. Like, is it having those players out wide against the fullbacks? Because I guess he doesn't have much midfield cover in the wide areas. Is that is that what it is? Yeah, it's definitely uh, effective against four one two and two because it's so narrow. Uh, I did have a lot of space on the wings because his. Uh, if I was out wide one side, his defenders would go all across the box, and I'd have I'd be a man open on the other side as well. So I definitely stretched him. So I think the interesting thing to note there is obviously he switched formation to a three at the back, which, Japes, obviously you were commentating on this, so you would have seen the games that you commentated on. I don't think anyone else really changed tactic. I remember seeing Alan Avi take him on in the match before this one, I think it was, and he didn't change formation to anything with three at the back. He didn't really try and stretch Costello's team much at all. So it's good to see that, you know, someone like Dorsey, you know, thinking very tactically about the game and then interesting kind of the contrast between the two styles of Dorsey and Gastella, but particularly with Gastella, I don't know whether you also noticed this, the ability to use that very narrow formation in a way that is effective, which I think is actually quite difficult. And um, with some of the crazy kind of almost instinctive passes that you can play between players um, that you don't really see, I suppose. Yeah, I well, first, let me say, like, pats off to Gastella for kind of the way he plays that formation. He doesn't play the the four and two and two narrow by pushing a lot of guys wide. He keeps them very, very tight together, which uh, I know for me at least can be challenging sometimes to then find some space, but he seems to manage to do that. But I, I also think um, it's the, you know, Dulce's willingness to change is the sign of a mature FIFA 19 player. Now, Gastella has been in the scene for a really long time and, um, you know, historically, hmm. in competitive FIFA, you'd really see players just making a change to three at the back if they were chasing the game or five at the back if they were trying to sit on a lead. And given hmm. the with the changes this year, with how easy it is to, you know, kind of change tactics, change formations, 
you've really the, the top guys have really had to evolve and have a couple different formations that they can go to for different situations. And I think that's what a, allows uh, some of the best players to stay really consistent at the top. And so Duelsta's willingness to go ahead and make that change and recognize uh, that there is a counter, there is an evolution to competitive FIFA this year that we haven't really seen as much in last year's. You know, I thinking back to the, even the grand finals last year when Desari switched to a 4-3-3, the second variation, that was like unheard of. And Using it and bringing it out in the finals was, you know, kind of speaks to his uh, maturity, I suppose, and the understanding of tactics that that can play a huge part in FIFA. And I so when you look uh, at EMLS specifically, you've got Duelsta and uh, Chris or NYCFC Chris, and then even Fiddle to an extent, all on the east side that are more mature FIFA 19 players in my uh, in my opinion and so you see them doing more things to change their tactics and and look for the gaps that'll that'll give them what they need to go on and secure the win yeah sure I mean I obviously it's been discussed on the pod in the past um, I am a big fan with the three at the back uh, especially against players that are dropping back and are making it difficult to to, to be broken down. Mm. The three at the back is is much more solid than people tend to realise. So it's mm. not, you know, as Japes was saying, that people have tended in the past just to use it as a chasing formation. Uh, it is effective as that, but um, you can actually, you can use it quite comfortably throughout a full 90 minutes. Um, and it does give you those extra numbers in midfield. It does give you the option mm. of width as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, very important. It's, I, I think um, one of the things that I've noticed watching American players, and we discussed this briefly um, off pod, obviously, is that it seems to me like there's almost a cultural thing in, in, in the way that Americans approach FIFA, that it's um, the tempo is so quick and everything is moved from back to forward so quickly. Um, very reminiscent of, of basketball, actually. I think that that's my, my theory as to why this happens. Um, it's almost as if players tend to play with a 24-second shot clock. Um, so I, I think that's something always interesting when I watch when I watch the American FIFA competitions, the EMLS. Um, the, the tempo so different, very yeah. different approach to the game. So I'll, this is going to be pure speculation, but jumping in uh, traditionally from like an American perspective, no matter what the sport is, and probably why you know one of the reasons why soccer's had a little bit harder of a time uh growing in the states is americans like to see points on the board like sure we <laughs> like high scoring affairs like you look at all of our sports we prefer to see a lot of high scoring and i think that's not so much speaking to like a shot clock so much but it's speaking to how direct people end up being because the right. ultimate goal yeah. is to score, 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 score. Um, and mm. obviously soccer is a game where that's, you know, the, the pass backwards is more important than the pass forward sometimes. So um, I think it's, yeah. it, it speaks more to, you know, and specifically in a video game simulation where these guys can go out and play, you know, still top competition, but put up tons of goals when they, you know, when they're practicing that way and then they still get into a competitive environment, it's still extremely direct. Um, and I think Dulsta is obviously from uh, Galway. He, he, while he can be direct, he obviously made the change in that match to be less 
direct talking about the width and uh being able to find the Mm. open man there so uh that would that would kind of be my my take and two cents on that yeah i'd agree totally japes i think that um it is interesting that that Cormac is from Ireland as opposed to, you know, he's got that different sort of cultural upbringing. Yeah, and actually the interesting thing about him is I think he, I've read articles saying he has aspirations to become a Division One college soccer player and apparently quite a ta- talented midfield player. So maybe his tactical brain comes from having a sort of footballing background, which I'm sure um, would help you in, the, in those kind of situations. One thing you were just briefly talking about, that idea of US football versus US FIFA versus playing in the UK or in Europe and, and sort of the rest of the world, which is maybe more exposed to real football. Um, obviously, I've been playing foot champs and things in the US now, having played it in the UK quite a bit. And it is actually quite interesting. You see, um, as Steve was saying, a lot more direct foot, football. And as, as you both pointed out, you know, you've got players who regularly I'll be playing and I'll have 90% pass accuracy. My opponent will have maybe under 80%, but they'll still beat me because they are unbelievably efficient with counterattacks yep. and it, it's <laughs> yep. something that i <laughs> i, I experienced <laughs> yeah and it i experienced it in the uk but honestly nowhere near as much i think it would be you know every I don't know, 10 games or something whereas over here it's like I don't know, at least half the opponents i'm playing uh, you know they'll have ronaldo up front that's about it the rest of their team is not even that advanced but they know relatively. exactly when to ping that through and ball they know every exactly time. What, yeah exactly what to do every time they only use one skill and that's the lacroqueta um and it is really interesting like it's not something that you come up against in the uk so much hmm. um but it's also been quite good because i don't know i've got to develop my passing game maybe a bit more over here than i'd expected because they'll kind of let you have it a little bit more which is kind of interesting um so it's, it's a different dynamic actually hmm. it's quite, it's quite i've also heard ben i don't know if you can confirm or deny this but i understand that penalty shootouts are a lot easier to win in america is that right that's, <laughs> that's not true <laughs> <laughs> no, that's because uh yesterday i sent Stephen a message saying i played nine champs games and i'd lost four by penalty shootout mm. <laughs> um which I, I i don't think i've like even had four penalty shootouts in any previous um foot champs like in in any single foot champs and that was like within nine games it was crazy but again i think that kind of shows i guess how um i guess defensive um or or deep a lot of these opponents play over here and it it does feel quite different and the chance of penalty shootouts have felt higher and it's interesting because i feel like i'm more often the better technical player here but i'm perhaps losing more than i was back in the uk because people are aware of ways of of playing very direct, playing in a way that sort of frustrates you. And actually kind of goes back to what we're talking about in this podcast. And we've talked a bit about using tactical nails to beat opponents. But I know, Steve, you wanted to talk a bit about the psychological tools to beat opponents, especially after that uh, whole thing around Dasari and Tex, which happened in the Foot Champs Cup 6, I think it was. It was quite an interesting matchup. There was a lot of hype around it. There was a lot of build-up. Tex has obviously had an incredible record in terms of winning competitions and you know he, he ended up losing that game and it was uh yeah he was definitely uh, salty about it um for sure well yeah I, I don't think that any of us here would really argue that Dasari is a better technical player than Tex um it would be very difficult to make that argument at any level so the the problem that I had with the uh with, with the way that it all came off was that Tex kind of got drawn into something that he really didn't need to be involved with in the first place. Um, His focus has to be on the game. Um, 
it's very difficult for the brain to focus on two things equally at once. Um, it, it can pretty much just cope with, with the one thing at any given time. So text, for all that it might be fun, for all that it might, you know, might be good for the ego, I don't know. It's... <laughs> It's good for the sport, it attracts viewers, but for Tex, actually as a player, I think it was a really backward move for him to, to get drawn into that kind of thing. I, I thought I didn't like the whole thing at all from start to end. I can only think that it, it did play into Tex's mind. Um, he may have got involved in it thinking, well, you know, it's okay, it's just a bit of fun. But these things do tend to linger. It's why... I think in the States, uh, I'm sure Japes will tell me, it's, it's, it's called bulletin board material, isn't it? Because it's coaches tend to sort of pin that thing up in the, in the, in the locker room somewhere just to motivate the players. And um, mm. by, by bad-mouthing Dasari and what have you, well, not necessarily bad-mouthing, that's probably a bit strong, but by, by getting involved in this sort of war of words, you, not only are you losing focus yourself, you're giving ammunition to your opponent. And I just I, I thought it was pretty pointless from Texas' point of view. Yeah, I was wondering whether it was, I don't know, Desari is a pretty smart guy, actually, I think. His uh, ability with English language is obviously not great. It's not his first language, but I think he kind of knows what he's doing. And I, I think the whole thing was slightly manufactured by Spencer Owen a little bit. Ever but so slightly, at the same time, yeah. yeah, but at the same time, it, I feel like it was sort of in Desari's favour for that to happen. You know, he, I think, is capable of handling it a bit better. I think Tex is, is very young and his, his sort of, I don't know, game management maturity, if you like, is not very advanced. And I think Desari is much better at kind of focusing and and, uh, and, and less drawn into that in terms, from a sort of gameplay affecting perspective. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was interesting to see. I, I think emotionally as well, though, Ben, the fact that, that Spencer came to Tex and kind of dropped it on him, that he just sort of mm. came to Tex and said, Desari said this, what do you think? That's going to provoke an emotional reaction, whereas perhaps it yeah, didn't yeah. with Dasari. Um, so I think that Tex was always on the back foot with that. And to be quite honest with you, I, I find it a bit disappointing from Spencer that he was uh, that he was prepared to take advantage of, of perhaps Tex's naivety in that way. Um, so yeah, not a big mm. fan of that at all, personally. And what do you think about that, Japes, from a sort of... I guess the other side of the uh, the couch from a, um, from an old dude think? perspective. <laughs> um, uh, well, yeah. Although also from the production side of a of a tournament. Yeah, for the I mean, look from a from an entertainment, uh, perhaps marketing side, it's certainly going to increase the the amount of views that are going to go to the competitive scene. Like the next time, yeah. the next time that Tex plays Dasari, right, which will mm. happen. Yeah, I, people, all eyeballs are going to be on that. So mm. uh, from a storyline perspective, I don't dislike it. I think we certainly learned, though, that uh, Tex in this instance is, you know, clearly still a, what is he, 18, not 17, 18? Mm. Still, still young and has obviously gone, like, leaps and bounds ahead in his... Uh, celebrity profile if you will specifically in the uk i mean shooting videos with you know the with national team players and like you you name it having the success that he's had this year has like likely had an impact on him and desari who's had success for a long time and been around for a long time uh is mm -hmm. certainly is certainly aware that he can you know, text now with this like profile, he's probably putting a lot of pressure on himself to perform and adding a little bit of extra pressure there from Desari and instigating when Tex has failed to perform on the big stage this time, 
is something that could rattle him. And, you know, E-Nations Cup, England went out. Uh, and Tex lost to mm-hmm. the guy, like, the not Nicholas from Argentina. I can't remember what his name is, which is uh, <laughs> would probably be a shocking result, right? Mm. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah, and you wonder true. if it's going to be a you know a beautiful crash at the end of this FIFA scene for, or whether he can rebound and get himself together and and continue getting you know getting hot at the right time as you know with you know March Madness just happened in the states but getting hot at the right <laughs> time in a tournament setting and you know or FIFA scene year cycle is important to taking home ultimately the grand finals which would be any fifa players um dream here yeah it's really interesting and i I tweeted about it i guess is where i get to feel kind of smug i tweeted about the fact that obviously tex is a fantastic technical player but um he doesn't maybe have the tactical acumen but also the sort of game management ability to necessarily what's the word that he's over here clutch up towards mm-hmm. the end you know when when other players have started to really get to grips with the, the sort of game management the tactical side they, they've also got a better technical knowledge themselves tech seem to have seems to have this kind of ability to master the technical side of a game so quickly that gives him a real advantage in the first half of the season probably and then like last season we saw he kind of faded away towards the end and didn't do so well at the world cup and um, final the sort of traditional big names came to the fore in that event mm-hmm. and i was kind of thinking you know, with Dasari um, in this tournament, are we in that tournament that happened, are we going to kind of see the same thing finally coming to pass? And uh, obviously it did. But I know, Steve, you were tweeting about that as well. And it is very fascinating how that element is so important to FIFA. You know, that we've always known that the psychological side is important and also the game management. You saw Dasari switching to a more defensive formation. He actually used the 4-3-3 brackets three. So the one with the two CDMs in the center mid from quite yeah. early on. So... Was, was quite defensive. Again, it really highlights, and I think I think this is the thing to take away for all our listeners as well, is that the sides beyond the technical side of the game are, are so important. And, and you can really beat players who are better than you are at the technical side of the game by being tactically savvy and by being uh, kind of psychologically really switched on and focused. Well, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, in terms of claiming bragging rights, Ben, I think we should give full disclosure here and, and point out that in the Discord chat that we had during the game... I did actually call it after about 40 minutes, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't recall yeah. you actually doing that. I think I did tell you after about 40 minutes that Dasari would win. Well, I think if you looked at the uh, Photoshop Discord chat that I had here, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did. Um, no, no. Yeah, I was. I put out this tweet, which I, I feel like I was slightly sick on the fence a little bit. And I wish I'd really put my put my neck on the line for, yeah. for Dasari getting the win, but I didn't. No, I think um, in all fairness, we, we both saw it shaking down that way, didn't we, quite early? Yeah, yeah, we both saw it going that way. I think... Um, you can never be be sure about it, and it was a, a really exciting game actually as well. There was some drama late on as well, and it was it was it was a good game to watch. But it was interesting, yeah, from that perspective of the psychological, the te- the tactical, and and how how yeah that that can really really be important to um to, to the FIFA game. Well, yeah, it is, um, and I think there's going to be an evolution in terms of coaching pretty soon in the professional game. In yeah, the you'd sense that so. yeah, it's. I mean, it, it seems to me that really, to all intents and purposes, in everything except name, people are taking their pals with them as coaches um, to the tournaments. Mm. That, that tends to be what it is. It tends to be somebody else who's a very good FIFA player, somebody that they know, and who can probably give them some good advice in, in terms of perhaps tactical things or to, to spot something out of the corner of their eye that the player isn't seeing. But when it comes to the actual the psychological aspect of it, I think that, that a lot of players are missing out big time with that. 
One of the things that stood out to me with uh, with Texas' mindset in the Foot Champions Cup was that he developed this habit of conceding an early goal and then having to come back from behind. And that just immediately speaks volumes about focus. It was almost like he needed mm-hmm. to to concede the goal to be kind of shook up into into realizing okay I am in a contest here and I've got to yeah. compete you know he just he wasn't getting out of the blocks at all and I, I think yeah I, I think that there's a massive scope for for introducing more I mean we, we talked with this briefly with with Nepenthes didn't we when he was on the podcast he was of the similar opinion mm. um, I, I think there is a massive role for sports psychology in FIFA at all levels whether it's competitive whether it's foot champs um, having your mind straight making sure that you're focusing and if you, if you suffer a bit of bad luck moving on from it and not carrying it on with you really important mm. golf tends to be one of the sports where you can really see that if a player does have a bit of bad luck or he, he really screws up on one particular mm. hole it can lead to an absolute collapse over the next three or four holes if they don't get yeah. their focus right and it's exactly the same in FIFA if, if you have a bit of bad luck and you're not focusing 100% on what you're doing in the here and now you're going to get into trouble and that one goal is going to lead to two goals, three goals, four goals, domino effect. I think it's really fascinating. And you mentioned golf as being one example, I think, because it's a 1v1 sport, obviously, FIFA, or except for this E-Nations Cup, which has been quite interesting, actually, because it's had 2v2 matchups and things, but generally one versus one. And you've also got tennis as being the other example as well, right? And it's a similar kind of that focus, that psychology. Sure. That kind of momentum is so important. We have a dirty word in FIFA, but you know, um, <laughs> it is important. So those kind of things are the kind of things that coaches are very good at managing, and I think are yeah, very, very, very important to a FIFA player responds to the game and, and how you know the chances of winning. I think it's someone like Tex if he really wants to push his game to the next level, he needs someone there, a coach, someone who's also more tactically astute. I think I don't think he is personally especially tactically astute. It was interesting he liked that tweet that I put out saying the best technical player lost but I was essentially saying in this tweet that Desari is a better player in terms of his game management in terms of his tactical ability and if you saw the other tweets Tex was liking they were all stuff that was sort of essentially kind of bigging himself up if you like whereas actually I wasn't bigging him up at all I was saying that you know he may be very good technically but he's really got a lot to learn essentially was what I was saying but it's interesting that he clearly doesn't value that stuff that's not the stuff that the moment he's thinking is actually that important whereas I think you know he needs to do some soul searching after this year but he is very young so he may not be able to do that and kind of think well I need to take on someone who's going to really make me much better in these areas because if I want to be you know a reigning champion who wins everything which he could he needs that tactical support essentially and and, and psychological support I think I'd I'd agree entirely Um, and I think that I think you're right in what you say Ben I think that he's just listening to the way that he talks, he's, he's clearly quite a smart young man. Um, young man, how patronising does that sound? But yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's clearly, you know, he's smart enough and it, it probably is just a, a little bit of naivety. Um, but yeah, he just, he needs to just learn a few of the sort of tips and tricks that apply in, in every kind of sports coaching, really, I suppose. Stuff like, you know, not perhaps worrying so much about the outcome of the game, not, not figuring what the results are going to be and making sure you win, just focusing on what you're doing in the here and now. It's by far the, the most important lesson that you can take in any kind of, if you're trying to improve your performance in anything. Forget about the mm. outcomes, focus on what you're doing right now, and the rest of it takes care of itself. And it's, it's never truer than it is in FIFA, absolutely. Mm. There's, certainly, there's certainly going to be an Im- importance there i think you'll see more coaches coming in when players 
are like here a perfect example Detto or Dito is clearly mm. like no not performing at the level that he has in the past two years right but he would make a fantastic coach in my mind and it's not anything necessarily I think it's it's more to do with players like these young kids needing guys that have been there done that understand the situations mm. that also understand the game and are able to pass along not like not just like advice of hey this i've been in this situation but are also like quite good tactically that just aren't able to have that like technical twitch ability anymore so i think you'll see more coaches come in there but in a separate but somewhat related and need for a coach the the format for the e nations where you have one xbox player one playstation player and then you play a, a 2v2 that has been the coolest FIFA format for me so far. And a coach in that sort of mm. setting, specifically having multiple players. And, you know, I'd like to see where the 2v2 somehow, if it was like a coin flip, whether you play on PlayStation or Xbox, I think there's like a lot of interesting aspects that can be added to that. Similar to like with the talk of tennis, the way, you know, not on like, I guess mm. on the highest level, but a lot of tennis, you'd have your one singles, two singles, one doubles, two doubles, right? So you'd have a team that's essentially made up of six people. Uh, and I'd mm. love to see more FIFA tournaments where it's truly a, a team effort mm. playing, playing, you know, multiple games and that sort of setup. I think it's from a viewer standpoint, it's certainly really, really interesting when they've gone to these 2v2 matches. Question that I've got about the, uh, the MLS um, with the coaching, I, because I would think it's more emphasized over in the States. Um, I may be culturally stereotyping. I don't mean to if I am. Um, in terms of, of the support that the players get over there, what are the hype levels like over there? Is, is there a lot of trying to hype players up? Yes and no. I think it just depends on the player, right? Like some players getting hyped up for their matches is, is important, right? And they'll be sharper and right. play better. And other players, you need to just calm down. So I, I don't think it's necessarily like a cultural thing one way or the other if anything it's just like a understanding of who the player is that's playing a specific game of fifa and what they're going to need to play their best game sure agree 100 mm. percent. i mean I, I, I do actually very much liken the mindset required to be successful in fifa to golf if you get onto a golf course too hyped you're going to be too tight, you know, you're going to make a mess of things. And it's the same in FIFA. It's, you really need to be calm, cool. I watched some of the uh, the FIFA World Cup and I caught a bit of gameplay from, I always want to call him hashtag Boris, but he's not anymore, is he? Uh, Ivan Lapagna, uh, <laughs> Boris legend. And I love his approach. The, the dude, I mean, it's, it's a lot of stereotyping here. Swedish ice in the veins. Um, his his approach, his coolness is just fantastic, and I think that quite a lot of players could learn from that as well. How did how did I I can't say I saw any of his matches. How did he do? Uh they got knocked out in the group stage, but I think he managed to to scrape a couple of dubs. Yeah, and so mm. he's like he's one too on the similar that Rodito, where he's been there, done that, but maybe you know has gone more of a has gone more of a YouTube route, and maybe his Twitch reactions aren't what they were before and would be able to transition into a fantastic setting as a coach specific you know sure i think when you if you if you've got a team full of young players having someone like that there would be hugely important if not ben and i are available (laughs) (laughs) don't have to have done it at the highest level you know silver three steve it's enough experience isn't it op (laughs) the uh, steve to, to your 
in terms of like uh, elaborating on the discussion with coaches, I also think there's a huge room for uh, analysts in FIFA. Yeah. Mm. And because we even notice tendencies of players just watching. Could you imagine if you had somebody in your corner that's watched text play a hundred times and says, Mm. you know, text, maybe not the best example because he's an extremely unpredictable player when he's attacking. But some of the some people are, you know, muscle memory oriented. Like when I think about Gorilla, minus like some of his skill moves, like his his game's pretty consistently direct and i think he's had trouble adapting to different systems and different metas because he has played a certain way and had success with it but if you so if someone's watching hundreds of games of gorilla and then Hmm. says to me when he gets in this situation this is what he does here are the notes on him and you're able to maybe bring in a stand-in player that's trying to mimic that style over and over and over again and so when you come up against gorilla you're super well prepared for what's going to happen. Like that's a potential missing piece. I think in this competitive scene, now it's what's tricky. There is there are hundreds of competitive FIFA players. And in the Swiss format, you're playing a ton of them. But if you know that there are guys that are consistently getting out of the, the Swiss format, then you can start to study those and it becomes more and more important. And if you do start to see setups like this E nations cup more often, where you know exactly who you're going to be coming up against ahead of time, get an analyst in it's totally true and i can see that happening at some point but at the moment it's almost not professional enough if that makes sense and these are the kind of steps which will make it more professional but if you think that i feel like a lot of the organizations that get involved are essentially doing it to kind of get their names out there it's sort of a publicity stunt maybe partly um and there's uh, you know there's teams like as roma who are definitely doing things properly they have analysts actually i think and those kind of things make a lot of sense if you're taking this seriously because well pro players you know they they kind of come and go, you know, they, they go off and they do other things. But, but having a really good analyst, having a, a great sort of backroom staff, I guess you call it, you know, those people can stick around for ages and they can help any players that come in and they can consistently improve, you know, players who you're perhaps pulling out of less well-known uh, kind of corners of the FIFA scene to, to become really top players. And so I think you're right. It needs is something that needs to happen for these organizations to progress but will we see it happening anytime soon i don't know i'm not sure we're quite there right well it it happens in every professional sport doesn't it really and i think that perhaps as prize money goes up and people are more able to to afford to employ larger entourages i guess it may start Mm. to happen but it's i mean for all that we talk about the professional scene and professional players there's still a lot of amateurish, amateurishness involved in, in terms of attitude, in terms of preparation. Yeah. And I think that there are far too many, um, air quotation marks, pro players that are, they're not going to get pro results without a pro attitude, if that makes sense. And I think that it's, it's, it's an area where a lot of pro players could improve quickly. And so just to close off the section, you know, I think the big takeaway from this, which we always talk about on the podcast, and we know all of you who listen have a, a certain level of uh, knowledge about the game, have an interest in FIFA beyond, you know, just pure mechanics, basically. And, and the more you hopefully listen, the more you contact us with your tips that you find out, um, you know, the more we can kind of share those and, and I guess have the ability to all beat players who are technically superior to us. And as I know, the demographic of the podcast is about 25 plus. Um, I think we all need every help we can get to to overcome people who are technically superior, right? Yeah. At, at the foot coach on Twitter, the best uh, foot psychology tweets <laughs> on the internet, people. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Steve has been ramping up those uh, that foot psychology. <laughs> but yeah, I think we're ready to close that off, and we, we're going to talk about the Prime Icon Moments debacle in the second half, and we're also going to discuss a little tip that I've been uh, exploiting, really, to be honest, from corners. Ooh. So you'll see us in the second half. Big thanks to the EMLS team for making that interview with the winner Dulster and my visit to the finals possible. But now on to a big announcement. As you'll know, especially with the lack of pods of late, with the work I do getting episodes out weekly has been extremely difficult. I need to make it part of my weekly freelance schedule. And to do this, I've gone back to an exciting idea that a lot of you listeners had, a patron. The great thing about a patron is that you can support the pod directly and get loads of fantastic perks in return. And the very best perk is that you can get access to weekly podcasts. Exclusive Foot Weekly patron bonus episodes will fill in the gaps between regular podcasts. With your support, Foot Weekly will go from strength to strength, making Foot Weekly weekly again. Plus, there's loads in it for you. Check out the tiers on the Patreon page. They start at just $3 and include perks from market alerts to Hall of Fame and loads more. Also on the page, you can see my Oscar-winning performance in an actual video. There's also a special offer for the first 30 patrons. One of those could be you. That's all on Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Foot Weekly Podcast. That link's also in the episode description. I hope to see you there. Look forward to chatting to you and having you as a patron. What's up, guys? This is Andy AJ Free, and you're listening to the Foot Weekly Podcast. So welcome to the second half. And before we move on to the unfortunate Prime Icon Moments mess, one thing that I wanted to mention, because I've seen a few people start to talk about it on Twitter, I think it's a little bit abusing um, a mechanic this year, so I didn't really want to bring it up, but it seems to be starting to get out there anyway, is this um, trick which I've been doing on corners where you what you do is you call second man in, but you don't do it straight away. So the second man isn't waiting when, when you start your corner. You call your second man in and uh, he runs towards you as you're taking the corner. You've, you power up the corner, power it into the guy at the front post. And uh, as you're running towards the ball, they need to have quite good ball control. It's worth noting the player that you're passing it to. But as they're coming towards the ball, you know, you tap the right stick. So you get a little flick up and you do that flick up towards the byline. It is the byline, is it? What do we call it? Yeah, byline. The touchline. That's what we call well, it. Not, you Out of bounds it. line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once it's up in the air, you then perform the cross. And of course, as everyone knows, the accuracy of volleyed opportunities seems a little bit high. And mm. certainly crosses, you know, you see El Tornado crosses, things like that going in quite frequently in the pro scene. But this is kind of a way of getting the ball in the air and getting a, a better trajectory on your crosses. For those familiar with Rory Delap. Premier League icon. He obviously had this long throw that he did and the thing that people were saying about that long throw, why it was so effective is because when the ball's coming in, it's starting in the air yep. and that gives it a better sort of trajectory and I think that's partly why these volleyed attempts at crosses and things and shots to an extent are somehow more effective and I think there's definitely a mechanical issue within the game which I'm sure they're looking at at the moment um, ahead of next year's game that makes them just a little bit hard to anticipate for defenders and also perhaps too accurate as well so uh, yeah that seems quite effective so a little flick on um, volley it in Mm -hmm. I had one where you know it was like a a bicycled flick into the box and then a bicycle goal it's just uh, yeah it's a bit silly but I give it a go if you uh, want to do that kind of thing then uh, I won't judge that's what I'm going to say I won't judge he says All right, all right. I'll probably post a video on my Twitter, which is at FootWeeklyBen. If you don't follow me already, then I wouldn't. I don't don't plug as heavily as Steve. So follow me instead. (laughs) Um, Before we finish, we're going to discuss one final um, big FIFA debacle. I suppose would be the Mm. word. Um, The whole issue of Prime Icon moments has come to the fore yet again. Just as people were kind of semi-accepting of the Prime Icon moments switch. So obviously, we originally had uh, Prime Icons SPCs. Then we went into having. Prime Icon moments, and now 
Um, it's been decided that for sort of basically the top value icons, maybe I think it's maybe six of them perhaps, they're going to be not prime icon moments, but regular prime icons. Chapes, do you want to mention maybe briefly, because I know you're someone who's been affected by the prime icon moments yeah, thing. Yeah, so uh, I did. So do you want to talk about your experience? Yeah, yeah I did the, the Figo SBC uh, way back because it, he was cheaper than best. I liked Figo as a player and watching when I was young and largely because I had just done the Zlatan flashback, right? And that flashback was mm. difficult to link, but he was easy to link in a 4-3-2-1 if you had two icons up top. So I was like, ah, I'll just keep using Zlatan and go ahead and do Figo. So I did Figo. Um, and then obviously they came out with the prime moments and Figo's prime moments looks much better than his prime to me. There are a lot of uh, stats that look to be added that I'd really like to do, but Figo to do orig originally cost about 1.1 million coins, uh, which is no small mm. amount. Uh, but Figo to upgrade, his upgrade still costs 1.7 million coins to do. So you're, Ouch. you know, Figo, I think on the market now is, what is he, like eight or 900 coins? And that's where that's building into it. So even if you're subtracting the, you know, we'll call it 900 for the sake of argument, you're it's still like, 1.1 and the the regular prime moments figo is cheaper to do like it's absolutely crazy and my issue ultimately my issue with all of these uh icon sbcs prime moment sbcs is there's very little communication around how sbc prices are created like as yeah. to as to what the formula is you know if they were to come out and say all right well we do formula based on their uh, team, potential links, uh, stats, overall rating, you know, whatever whatever it might want to be or might be. And mm -hmm. we build it, which is why, like, you know, if it's based on potential links and stuff, like, of course, icons, SPCs should be higher because you can link them to everyone, which is which would make sense then with Zlatan being so low because he's LA Galaxy and linking to other you know, high level player. Maybe it's like links rated to other high players is how it works. But there's there's just very little clarity around it. And so when pricing has been really inconsistent, right? This year, I think, of, of SPCs generally. Yeah. And you know, so when they they do something like now where they're just like, you know what, R9 Hullet players that whose moments SPC or moments cards on the market are essentially like extinct. We're not even going to release that as an SPC, which feels uh, crazy and feels like a bit of a miss, but also the, their regular prime cards are super expensive still to begin with, which I don't necessarily have, I guess like a problem with that, but I, I just, I think there's some clarity and communication that's missing uh, around SBCs in general and why prices are, the way they are for mm, some yeah of I, know, I know what you mean i feel like it's, it's kind of interesting so what the big outcry in the community is is you know why not just make these prime icon sbcs their prime moments and have them the same price right because then if you did that surely the price of you know the extinct r9 would drop significantly because there's this sbc available but i think ea although you know might not look like this sometimes they actually want to protect players from being massively well basically losing a huge percentage of their coins so like if if that happened then r9's price would drop like probably seven million or something mm. overnight you know he, he would drop massively prime moments r9 so I, I guess they're trying to protect people who've 
essentially spent money coins on the tradable version on the market. But yeah, it, it's just a bit awkward, really, the whole thing. I think Prime Icon Moments, ultimately, this all goes back to it maybe being pretty poorly executed from the start. I mean, you, I always often go to Chewboy, his Twitter, or, or chat to him about things when these sorts of things happen you know he obviously has been on the podcast before everyone knows he has these extra insights from inside ea and, and what he said on twitter was basically he feels that it's a it's a potentially a promotion that was sort of forced on the content team from above in some way maybe isn't exactly what they would have wanted to do because um i don't know from players perspectives the idea or the reaction from the community when prime icon moments were introduced was pretty negative straight away because prime icon suggests the very best version of a card and so once you introduce prime icon moments people are thinking well are you just constantly going to sort of upgrade what's seen as the peak card you know would would we get another team of the year later in the year you know it, it kind of puts into question the whole structure of ratings and, and for itself and so i can see why people were annoyed about that i think EA misjudged the community's reaction, didn't expect everyone to be quite so negative about it, mm. um, which is somewhat surprising. And then I also think that a big problem they had was introducing it part of the way through the year, after Team of the Year, the year and, and after the start of the year, when loads of packs were opened. And so the, the sort of occurrences of those players coming out of packs has just been staggeringly low. We might see them drop over Team of the Season because a lot of packs get opened then. But, you know, since they were introduced into the game, they're just haven't been that many big pack openings and and i think they may have made two mistakes one introducing them part way through the year from that perspective but also from the essentially the optics point of view if you want to call it that as well mm-hmm. i think another mistake was the uh that they effectively said that the reasoning for, for doing it was because it's what the community had asked for and mm. from what I can gather, looking around on Twitter mm-hmm. and Reddit and what have you, it doesn't seem like it's what the community asked for at all. It's kind of interesting because it isn't, but at the same time, I can see what they've thought. Well, you know, a lot of the community aren't going to be able to get hold of the Prime R9 that they wanted, let alone the Prime Icon Moments, perhaps. So why don't we just make the SBC cheaper by making it a Prime Icon, not a Prime Icon Moments? And then more of your players will be able to at least get the chance of using these top rated players because so many people build up untradables in order to do their one big prime icon player. You know, that's what I did last year. The whole year almost felt like it was building up to doing that R9. And I suppose, you know, this year I probably would have struggled to build up the coins to do the moments version. So now maybe I can do the prime one. I suppose I am, you know, better off um, for that happening in some ways. I can put those untradables towards that rather than just having to think about doing something totally different. So maybe it's positive in that sense. But I can certainly see why people are frustrated because they think, well, why not just release them as prime icon moments? Who cares? You know, let the, I don't know, eat the rich or whatever. <laughs> let them, those people who've owned those prime icon moments, R9s, see a massive drop in their in their value. But I suppose from EA's perspective, that's uh, it's a pretty... I don't know, hard to justify thing to do, basically. Well, yeah, you can see the logic in it. I wouldn't dispute that for a minute, but um, I still think it's a bit of a reach to say that, that this is satisfying a demand in the community. That They released these moments as this huge addition to the game, but they're so inaccessible for so many people that oh, yeah. like the, the promotions that I think have done so well for this year, like Future Stars, Foot Birthday... Uh, perhaps even headliners have created cards that are accessible for people that can be used in like somewhat of a quote unquote like meta setup, right? Like cards that mm. are actually like can be actually 
useful in the game and these like moments are yes they're like the most useful cards in the game but they're so inaccessible that like to me i I don't see myself ever even having a private moments card on my team like i could go out and get one if i wanted to but the ones that i think would be you know worthwhile to go out and do and go out and get are just so astronomically priced that i they're, yeah, they're yeah. inaccessible to such a huge portion of the community that I wouldn't, I don't even feel like they should be considered a promote. Like, I, I just feel like there should be more promotions and stuff and SBCs. And I think foot swaps, the way they've, they've worked that this year, or specifically towards the end where you can get really good cards by doing all of the foot swaps is a fantastic addition because anybody can go out and do those foot swaps, right? Anybody, yeah, they're like, not even that time consuming, to be honest. It's not they're even. not horribly time consuming, exactly. So, and, but it's something that you have to keep doing to log in every day. And so, for the person that logs yeah. in consistently and is able to do the foot swaps, like good for them. I don't have a problem with them going, being able to get those higher rated cards. But you know, saying to the same guy, "Hey, we're like here's a six million coin SBC. Like, good luck." I, hmm. It feels crazy. Like I don't. Like I would have no issue if even from the start, right? Like you would get a random icon for your team for doing every single foot swap each month. I have no problem yeah. with that. No problem with that. Yeah, Considering okay. the cycle you go, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, September, uh, maybe not September. Start with October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May would get you to eight icons in your team for team of the season. You'd maybe submit one of those to some different SBCs. Like I, I don't have a problem with that. I wouldn't be surprised if we did see that, to be honest, after sort of team of the season, there's that, you know, dead period, you know, obviously we'll have footies, there'll be other promotions, but you know, I could see them really ramping up that foot swap. I just, you know, you I, could get I guess some pretty, pretty nice rewards. Yeah, by them, yeah. My, I would be curious to know how, what EA think someone's squad should look like after playing this game for right. eight months. Uh, something set up internally to where they say, this player that's played 100 games, we expect their squad to be able to look like this, 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 mm. right? Like yeah, 250 yeah. games, 500 games, 1,000 games. Because for the guy that's played 100 games of FIFA over the course, 100 games of Ultimate Team over the course of the year, right? Maybe does some mm. minimal trading. What is that, like uh, 20 minutes per game? So you're looking at... 2,000 minutes, which is essentially You've like... you thought this through, haven't you, Jake? 30... Well, this is just <laughs> the way my mind works, but like 30, <laughs> 33 hours to commit to a game. What what yeah, do yeah. you expect their team should look like, right? Like some mm. of it's the market determining the price of players, but, you know, the, the drops within packs and because packs have been so consistently unrewarding for such a long time, like it's just so luck of the draw feels mm. so, so random. Like the more SBCs that use these 83 rated cards, 84, like why, why aren't there 80, why aren't there SBCs where it's like submit four 83 rated teams and you get a 87, you know, 88 rated card, you know, or that's that sort of thing. Like where does, where does that fall to where you can actually, all of these untradeable packs, which are great. Like let's, reward people that are playing the game enough consistently to get these untradeable packs and give them ways to meaningfully upgrade their team talking about that i think a key thing that is probably worth a longer discussion at the time is this idea that i really feel like with this prime icon moments promo they've decided well not even players who are playing every day that's a big 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 commitment to a game a couple of games every day for an entire year 
those people, if they're just playing, if they're not spending a huge amount, if they're not trading, they don't ever afford these top Prime Michael Moments cards. And I think there's a debate there. You know, I, I, I personally don't think that's how the game should work. Yeah, um, I don't. If you're putting in that much commitment to the game, then you should really be able to get the, the top cards. Yeah, I look there every you've got to have some level of uh, this is just like a, a totally a story. There, there are just other games that allow you to get access to where even if you just grind and you're bad at the game, you can still get access to these top cards, right? Like, I don't know. The, the store, I think, should be different to where I think there should be each week maybe. Or, yeah, this is me riffing on this, but each week maybe there are 10 items in the store that EA determines a coin value for, right? So, like, you've got a Bamiyang that's, like, 100,000 coins in the store, right? And it messes with the market price a little bit, and traders are going to be upset, that sort of thing. But it makes it, that player, accessible. And you can trade in your un, your 100,000 coins for an untradable Abamiang, which is essentially, like, mm. SBCs are sort of like that. But let's just make it a little bit more direct sometimes and have some special items that can be bought from the store one time only, right? And they're untradable and they go to your club. Done. I would like, love it, that so much. It, I, it would be I, so. I hate SBCs. Their SBCs take so much time to do. Man. To go out and find mm. them. For me, when I look at these prime, specifically like the high level ones, and think to myself, like I looked at that, the moments Lothar Mateus, because Mateus has been in my team since the beginning in some way, shape, or form. And I look at that and I was like, I would love to upgrade. And then I saw like the requirements and how much time I would have to spend just doing those <laughs> SBCs. And I, w- I would rather play a game. I would rather play like mm. a couple games. It's it's yeah. it's horribly unrewarding uh, in that sense. And some people love doing it and feeling like they can go out and get deals. And that's great. I think it's a valuable addition to the game. But occasionally release like, uh, you know, every time there's a team of the week, add a team of the week silver and a team of the week gold to the store that could be purchased for 50,000 coins. Some, you know, Sometimes you feel like it's a deal and they fit your team. Sometimes you feel like it's not. And, and they've sort of done this with the, the weekly objectives, right? And I think the weekly objectives people have really liked, like go do this and earn, mm. earn that. I think, I, look, when they're, when they're in rivals and you have to do something specific, I think that's a bad look. I think there's other ways to, to sort that out. Um, or even if, I don't know if it's like there's an objectives game mode, right? Like it's weekend league where to enter this like objectives mode, you have to have like team that fits the requirements. You're playing everybody else that has teams that fit the requirement rather than these like super, you know, when you're in division one, you come up against a full team of the year icon team and you're trying to get goals with a Colombian striker. You're like, oh, this is going to be super fun. <laughs> but the, you know, just, just add an addition where, you know, keep the, the items where you can earn them just through objectives and completing challenges, but also like, like how hard would it be to have like once a month have a flashback card that you would buy for two hundred thousand coins, just flat out it goes untradeable. You trade it, you mm. buy it from the store, like the same as the like foot swaps are kind of like it. And I just I just think an addition like that would be super nice. And I like all the creative items that they're adding to the game, like the the right mid. And David Alaba and Marcelo, I think the additions like that are super fun. And do they fit everyone's team? No, but they certainly are fun cards to have the opportunity to go out and get. Sign me up. On this topic, actually, of future improvements, 
As many of you know, we're part of the Game Changer Network and the FIFA team have asked that we reach out to our audience, that's you, on a particular question they have. They have their own list of prioritized issues within the game that they work through, but they're keen to know how this compares with the player base's own priorities for the game's issues. That's not new features, that's actual existing issues. So we'd like to know your issue priorities in two categories, foot, so that's things like dynamic images disappearing, applying consumables, home team cherry picking, etc. And gameplay, so that'd be volleyed crosses, being OP, player switching, gameplay responsiveness, or anything else. Opportunities to provide this kind of direct data to EA are really fantastic. So do drop us an email, footweekly at mail.com. That's footweekly at mail.com. Or hit up at footweeklypod with your top three issues in both foot and gameplay. And I'll be compiling a footweekly dossier. But actually, that does bring us to the end of this week's Foot Weekly podcast. So, Japes, thanks very much for joining me. Absolutely. appreciate you guys having me on. Japes, where can people find you if they want to follow you? You can find me at AirJapes on Twitter. Just pop by, say hello. <laughs> Tell me what you think. What should EA do for FIFA mm. 20? That's really what I like. I just want some discussion around, like, how can this game get better for FIFA 20? I think there's too much... And this is totally now digressing from my Twitter handle, but there, I think there's just a lot of negativity around what's wrong. Like, let's start, let's start getting solution and like growth focused for what, mm. how can this game get better next year? Yeah, definitely. You know, if you go on our Twitter or maybe Jake's Twitter, you see this tweet for this week's podcast, maybe reply and, and tell us what you think. We'll see it. Get your thoughts in um, to us. And you can also contact Steve. Can't you, Steve? Where can, where can people do that? Yeah, by all means, contact me. Don't moan, because I won't respond to that. But yeah, <laughs> send all your complaints and gripes to Japes. That, that's fine. Um, anything else, send my way. You can follow me on Twitter, at uh, the Foot Coach. And finally, if you haven't checked it out already during this podcast, please do check out our fantastic, very exciting new Patreon. There are weekly, yes, weekly, Foot Weekly podcasts on the Patreon. And next week, we're going to be having Japes discussing his very interesting use of the 41212 brackets too so that's the narrow formation which he notoriously hates so that's going to be very interesting make sure to tune in and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash footweeklypodcast that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash footweeklypodcast see you there cheese from regular expenses to occasional splurges there's a lot to buy why not get cash back every time you spend? With the PenFed Power Cash Rewards Card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Visit penfed.org powercash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.